Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. Welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. I'm happy to connect with you this week. We are going to be speaking about supporting our children um, with a pediatric occupational therapist named Samantha Goldman. The focus today is really on how to explore new foods, what we can do to remove that mealtime battle. Um, Samantha has a passion for helping children explore new foods and expanding mealtime. So we're going to learn from her about why it's important to connect at mealtime, how to end that battle, and how to get children on board with special diets that might be required. And then I also wanted to speak with her a little bit about occupational therapy. I keep hearing about occupational therapy, and it's not something that I'm familiar with. So near the end of the interview, we do kind of switch gears just to give a little primer on occupational therapy and in what situations it can be helpful. I think you're going to find this episode useful if you have ever had that mealtime battle with your children. It's just a new perspective that Samantha is talking about in terms of how we can communicate and um, work through those mealtime issues with our children. And as always, it really sounds like it comes a lot down to listening and taking their feedback about what's important to them. So please join me in welcoming Samantha Goldman. So welcome, Samantha, to the podcast. I'm happy to connect with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having, for having me. I'm so excited to get started. Perfect. So why don't we start with you providing us a little bit about your background in terms of being a pediatric occupational therapist? Yeah. So my name is Samantha Goldman. My background is as a pediatric occupational therapist. And I have worked both in the hospital systems and in the outpatient clinics. So in my own personal business, I actually don't offer occupational therapy in my own personal business. I teach parents how to help their kids explore new foods and increase their variety the fun way. So my focus in my own personal business is really educating the parents. But then I do work elsewhere as a pediatric occupational therapist doing feeding and in the NICU. Oh, okay. Awesome. So yeah, definitely a lot going on. Sounds like you're busy for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So um, let's start with the kind of the exploring new foods and mealtime piece. Why is it so important for parents to really connect with children at mealtime? Mm -hmm. It's honestly, I think that's probably one of the most important parts about feeding because feeding is a relationship and that's what it is at its core. So We don't call it eating when it comes to kids. We call it feeding because you are feeding your child. And from the very moment a baby comes out when they are born, you're having a relationship with them when it comes to feeding. They're crying. You respond to their cue of crying. You give them the bottle. They respond to the bottle and you giving them the bottle and picking them up. When they're done, you read their cue that they're done and you keep going. And so it's a relationship built on trust too. And I think that's so important. And when it comes to kids having trouble with eating, sometimes that relationship and that trust gets broken and it's kind of this awful spiral. So when it comes down to it, one of the first things we always do is we work on that relationship because we want kids to want to come to the table. We want them to want to be there eating with you and we want eating to be pleasurable for you. And none of that happens when you're not connecting at the table. 
Mm, okay. Yes, that makes sense. Why it's definitely an important time. And so in terms of exploring new foods, I know it's something that a lot of parents have a challenge with, especially, um, you know, maybe there's a reason why you have to incorporate new foods into the diet and things like that. So how can we approach getting children to explore those new foods? Mm -hmm. Well, anybody who knows me well knows that my core is about making mealtime fun and Mm -hmm. making it exciting for kids. And the reason for that is actually based on what we call the intrinsic motivation theory. And that is that we as humans do things that are pleasurable for us, things that we are internally driven to do. And kids are internally driven to play. Play is their main goal in life right now. It's how they learn their world. It's how they understand their world. And so we teach them at school, they're learning through play. When we teach them even sometimes like to go to the bathroom, we're singing fun songs, we have books. And yet when it comes to the table, For some reason, we don't carry that over to there. But when we do, when we carry over that play, it really helps kids explore new foods and become comfortable with them. So usually when kids are having a hard time eating, it's kind of this mealtime battle. You put it on their plate and you have to take a bite. You need to try that. You have to take a bite before you get up. And they're not really learning anything there. They're taking a bite to make you happy and to keep going and to keep moving but they're not actually learning. They're not enjoying it. That's for sure. And it doesn't motivate them to want to do it more. So when we talk about how to do it, how I want my parents to do this is to, it's really hard. So I could say, I want to take away the pressure, but right now, a lot of the parents, their kids are eating with that pressure. So I do kind of want to put an asterisk, you know, beside this and say, if you totally change what you're doing, their intake might decrease at first. So Mm. The very first thing I recommend to like any parent is to start by probably meeting with like a dietitian or your pediatrician and getting a true indication of your child's nutrition. Um, they usually like will run a blood panel. So you as the parent have a really good idea of, okay, this is how much my child is eating. I am okay to make some changes. They are getting enough nutrition. So I, that's kind of like my asterisk there is before you make a lot of changes, you need to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. From there, When I tell parents to explore new foods, I usually tell them to do it in a fun way with no pressure. So that could look anything like exploring it away from the table by reading books about new foods to gardening to, you know, going to the table and actually working on those foods. So say we're going to explore broccoli. I'm going to put it on their plate, a really small piece. I always recommend a small piece when it's a new food and Mm. talking about a tree instead of calling it a broccoli. Look at look at my tree. My tree can stand. My tree is tall. How tall is your tree? And instead working on it in a playful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because you're right. There's some kind of a weird, like serious connotation around dinner time in particular. Like, you know, I think it's maybe just growing up, it's like we just always saw this as kind of the serious time where, you know, I've seen maybe a little more play around lunch. You know, if you look at the recent lunchbox trends of doing like bento boxes with different, mm-hmm. um, you know, like cut in different ways type food and shapes and stuff like that. But yeah, we don't we don't see a lot of that at dinner time. So that's really interesting. I like that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people too, when you think of that, you think of, well, that's bad manners. And we were all brought up, especially in the time that, you know, we grew up as like Mm -hmm. mealtime manners are really important. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, the messy play and the food play, it can be sometimes seen as bad manners. 
but there's a way to do it and there's a way to work on it that is not that. So I always recommend to parents before you start food play, kind of setting boundaries around that. Like food stays on the table because chances are, if you don't say that, it is going to end up everywhere. But mm-hmm. setting those boundaries ahead of time being like, okay, food stays on the table. And, you know, the way you play can be different too. So some parents, they are going to dig full in. They're going to play the games. Other parents might not be ready for that. And that's okay. Playing with your food can be as simple as, can you make a letter with your food? Can you stack your food? And just letting them have some opportunities to explore it instead of jumping right to those bites. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so I know there are probably parents that are already into the mealtime battle. Like it's just the way that it's become and they're not really sure what to do next. Um what else can they do to kind of move past that mentality and still focus on the nutrition piece that maybe they're, they're focused on now? Yeah. Well, I think the very first thing to kind of realize here is the mealtime battle is your child communicating something with you. So Mm -hmm. as an OT, I don't really believe personally in, you know, they're having behaviors, they're behaving bad. They, they are trying to tell you something. They might not know how, and it might come out in a way that is not as, pleasurable as we would like, but Mm -hmm. they are having a hard time with something. And so honestly, the first part of that is figuring out what they have a hard time with. So difficulty at the table can be due to a whole bunch of things. It could be anything from medical concerns, GI, allergies. There's over 400 medical diagnoses that can cause eating challenges. Mm -hmm. Or it can be having a hard time with their sensory processing. So their sensory system isn't able to kind of intake that input and respond to it appropriately, or even something like their muscles in their mouth don't move the way that they're trying to. So they might not be able to tell you exactly what this is, but so that first part is trying to get to the bottom of it. So what what exactly is going on here? Why is this hard for them? Because once we know that, we really can have a better idea of how to move past and how to keep going. And then when it comes to how to move past that mentality, but still get that nutrition that they want. So there is a book and a theory by Ellen Satter called The Division of Responsibility. And it's based on the premise that parents and children have different roles at the table. So a parent's role is to decide what food is being served that night, when they eat it, and where they eat it. The child role is to decide how much of something to eat and what to eat from their plate. And so, again, we go back to that relationship. When a parent tries to take over their child's roles or where when a child tries to take over a parent's roles, that's really where a lot of those mealtime battles start. So the first is kind of getting to the point where you guys can trust each other at the table because then you feel confident that they're getting the nutrition and they feel confident that you're not going to overstep and try and force them to eat mm-hmm. something they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. to. That makes a lot of sense. And I've kind of always subscribed to the, yeah, like I'm not going to tell you, you have to have to eat something. Um, we actually, you mentioned like health issues and I did have that happen with my daughter. She was always like a picky eater as a little one, like about a year old. And 
and more, but more onto the like very healthy foods. And I just was like, oh, this is like very unexpected. She likes, you know, salmon and vegetables and, but she doesn't like cookies and cake. And so it was kind of an odd yeah. case, but it turned out it was an egg allergy. And so, um, you know, any food that had egg baked into it when she would put to her lips was burning the lips, right? And so she wouldn't oh. eat it. And But it took a while to figure that out because she couldn't tell me like, hey, I'm having an uh, allergic reaction to eggs. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, I it made me be like really attuned that, yeah, we need to to understand that they're telling us something and, and there's a reason for what they're doing. Yeah, that's that's so sad that she was feeling that I am actually a big proponent of a, of a team approach. And so sometimes when parents come to me, I, I will send them, I'm going to say, go to GI, go to an allergist, go to a dietitian and rule these things out mm-hmm. because there's usually something kind of going on and we just got to figure out what that thing is. And it seems like a lot of appointments and it seems like a lot of people, but we want to make sure we're kind of covering our bases and we're not missing something here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And so kind of continuing on that medical piece, do you have any recommendations for those of us who are trying to implement like special diets for our children that have been recommended through like a health practitioner? Um, you know, I know ketogenic diets are often used if a child has seizures, I've heard um, as well. Like, for instance, my children have autoimmune challenges. So, you know, we've reduced gluten um, or some people have to reduce or eliminate foods completely for allergies. I just wondered, it can be a real struggle to make those changes and then also make it palatable for the child who's maybe used to eating something else. And I wondered if you had any thoughts. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, gosh, that is like the hardest thing when, and it it always happens to be maybe those one or two foods that your child actually really loves Mm -hmm. are the ones they can no longer eat. Yeah, like mac and cheese or, you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What I will say is there is a million bazillion things on the market now. And there's so many products out there. I mean, if you walk around, it it does tend to be more of those pricier options at the health food stores and things like that. But if you walk around, you can almost find a, you know, alternative for anything. Now, does that mean they're going to love that alternative is another story. So I actually would change or start to offer these in the same way that I would with any other new food. So I would do it as, you know, I would consider it a non-preferred food, a new food, and actually something that I didn't talk about that I should have talked about when you asked about getting children to explore new foods is something called the steps to eating. And so I'm not sure if you've heard of this before. The, The steps to eating is a approach by the SOS approach to feeding. And it is based on the theory that eating a food is not as simple as we all think. So we think of food as picking it up with our hands and putting it in our mouth. But developmentally, when you break it down, kids actually go through about 32 steps to eating. And this ranges anywhere from being in a room, being okay with it being in a room, to touching it, to smelling it, to being okay putting it in their mouth, and then you know finally swallowing it. And so when we do work with kids on exploring new foods, these are actually the steps that we go through and we actually practice those steps. So I'll look and I'll put down a food and I'll be like, okay, they're touching a step. So how do I kind of help them get to that next step comfortably? And then, okay, how do we get to the next step? And so if I, as a parent, was going to introduce one of these new options, I would do it in the same way. I would kind of put it on the plate as a non-preferred food. I always recommend 
to everybody, also putting a preferred food on the plate because it kind of helps your child feel more comfortable. And I would explore it. Now, it's a little bit testy with kind of these special diets because sometimes you have to make a quick switch. Sometimes mm-hmm. you find out like, oh, wait, they cannot eat this. Mm-hmm. And so that I would work really closely with your medical team on is how soon do these changes need to be made? How big of a deal is this? Because they might need some additional supplementation in the meantime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how do you think, um, like a lot of what we've talked about, I can definitely see working, especially with younger children. So, you know, you've got like a four or five-year-old, maybe three-year-old, but what about when you're getting into the older children or even like the tween age? Do you have any recommendations there where they're, you know, they're much more set in their ways in terms of what they <laughs> they want? They are. And oh my gosh, actually, I love working with older children and teens and tweens because it's a more collaborative approach. So mm-hmm. as opposed to us kind of just putting things on the plate, you're, you're working with them and you're getting them involved in it. Now, at first, they might not be so on board with wanting to make these changes, but usually as they get older, they do start to realize like, oh, wait, my friends around me are not doing the same things that I am. And so they're, they're starting to want to work on that too. And I actually love to do kind of the same things. We still go through the same steps, but we do it in a way that's maybe a little bit more appropriate for, for an older child. And so actually in the SOS approach to feeding, that's called the food scientist approach. And so we approach this more from a scientific view of food. So we are, we're talking about the senses. We're teaching them about their bodies. We're talking about the different kinds of foods. So we're going through a lot of education with them as well as that kind of playful nature of it, but in a way that's more appropriate for an older child. Mm, Okay, yeah, so definitely more involvement, it sounds like, for the older children, for sure. Yeah, Um, a lot more involvement. Okay, that's great. So I kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit um, to understand a little bit more about occupational therapy. I've, you know, had so many people tell me that it can be so helpful and useful. And I just wondered if, you know, other parents like myself aren't as familiar with it, if you could just give us a little bit more information about the support that you provide to children and families in that role. Yeah, absolutely. So I will say that what we do as occupational therapists with kids is very different from what we do as OTs with adults. So I'm going to talk about this only kind of from that kid point of view, Mm -hmm. but our job as occupational therapists is to help kids do the things they need to do and they want to do in life. And I know that seems so broad and yes, our scope is that broad. And so we do talk about kind of like our activities of daily living is what people usually hear. So We help kids make sure they can get dressed. We make sure that they can do writing for school, that they can sit at school, that they can eat, go to the bathroom. All of these things that they need to do every day, play is is considered one of our occupations. So we make sure that they have these skills. Now, what people usually hear when it comes to OT is we're talking about sensory processing. We're talking about handwriting. We're talking about development. And so it is very broad. But usually we get a referral from somebody because they're having a hard time in one area of life and they're not able to fully participate in life as much as they would like to. Mm, Okay, yeah, that's interesting. That's a good way to look at it. Um, And what about like mental health? Like, is there also like kind of like anxiety and different um, supports for different mental health issues? Yeah, so that's actually a really big push right now is 
occupational therapy actually started in mental health, which I find so interesting. And mm -hmm. then during World War II, with all the veterans, that's how we actually became a little bit more medical. And now there's a big drive to get us back into the mental health world. And so, yeah, I mean, even when you look at feeding and feeding and eating can be such an anxiety provoking thing for children. We are working a lot on kind of that mental health component on bringing down that fight or flight response and organizing our bodies. And there's also a big push right now for health and wellness. So that general health and wellness of a child and their family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, that's great. That's really helpful. Um, this has been great. I wondered if before we wrap up, do you have any other pieces of advice or tips or tools that you want to share with listeners? Yeah. What I would like to say, just kind of everybody listening is that even one small step makes a difference. So there is no small thing, small change that you do that, you know, doesn't make a difference. So a lot of times it feels overwhelming and people kind of put it on their list like, okay, I know I need to get to this someday because it just mm -hmm. feels so big. But even if you just start one teeny tiny thing, even if you just start being playful at the table with your child instead of focusing on taking a bite, even if you just start putting a safe food on their plate, if you just start giving them one teeny tiny new food a day, it doesn't need to be this big overwhelming thing. Just start small and start with something that feels like something that's sustainable for you, but no small change is irrelevant. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think it takes the pressure off parents a little bit too to kind of be like, okay, you don't have to do everything overnight. You know, it's can be like a staged approach. That's really helpful for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So how can listeners find out more about you? Is there a social media place, a website where they could maybe connect with you in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I do have a very active Instagram account. So it's at Dr. Sam Goldman. And I do have a podcast that just launched a couple weeks ago, and that is the Food Explorers podcast. So if you go to at Dr. Sam Goldman on Instagram, my link in bio has the podcast, it has my free resources, and it also has all the information about my services for parents. Okay, that sounds great. I will definitely check that out. And I will link it up in the show notes so people can just click on all of those links and find you there. So thank you so much for your time today. This has been really helpful. And I think people will definitely have gotten some little tips and tricks to help them out with mealtime and all of the challenges that go along with that. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to Samantha Goldman for her time today on the podcast. I learned a lot about the mealtime piece, really about how to play a little bit. And I loved that she was able to parlay that into, well, what does that mean when it's a toddler versus a tween or a teen and how we can do things a little bit differently? Because I know that the battle can sometimes continue um, all the way through those, those ages. And it's not always just a simple, they learn how to try different things at a young age and move on. Um, and I really liked the focus on the fact that the child's really trying to communicate with you sometimes and not just to look at it, you know, in such an autocratic way where we're saying, oh, well, this is what I say you need to eat. And so this is what you need to eat and and really set our children up for 
you know, positive relationships with food and, you know, sitting down and enjoying meals and taking that time in their day. I think it's so important. We know it's important to social connections. It's also, you know, important for them to sit and feel nourished and satiated. And that's a lot done when we can relax at mealtime and spend time together um, in, in sort of a positive environment. So I loved that. Um, And then also her primer on occupational therapy I found really helpful just because it is something that is new to me. We've never worked with an occupational therapist, but something that I'm interested in looking into a little bit more. If you'd like to find out more from Samantha Goldman, please visit her Instagram at Dr. Sam Goldman. Um, And also she mentioned her podcast, Food Explorers, which um, should be really interesting to check out. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you learned a little bit, something new about exploring foods, maybe for yourself. Maybe even um, that's something that you're looking to do on your own. Um, And then also with respect to children. If you do have any ideas for future shows on the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, I'm always happy to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my Instagram at SarahLadyGluten or by email at reallifeprojectcoco at gmail.com. Always love the ideas. It helps me to direct where to go and what everybody is interested in learning a little bit more about. Thanks a lot and have a good week. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Gluten Free Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se-german.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.